You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8. We'll be in a lot of verses this morning, but we will start in the verses that um, we just heard read over us as you're turning there. Uh, If you're new, welcome to Citizens Church. My name is Jamin I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. If you're watching online, uh, maybe you're doing that for the first time or you've been doing that for a long time. Thanks for uh, joining us. We are back in our wisdom series. Uh, Wisdom in one... Yeah, I feel the same way. Thank you. Um, If you're new, like maybe you started coming over the summer. Here's what you missed. Um, Last spring, really from January to May of this year, uh, we were in a series on wisdom, mostly in the book of Proverbs in Ecclesiastes and a few other places. And we took a break from the series over the summer. We've been out of it for about two months, which is just enough time for all of us to become foolish again. And so we are back in it and we will be in this series uh, for a really long time. Um, so we won't break again, well, except, except for Advent. Anyway, um, most of the shows that you watch now, especially if it's like multiple seasons and multiple episodes in a season, uh, most of the shows start with some sort of recap, right? Uh, and you just like hit the skip intro button or something like that. But a lot of them start and there's some recap of what happened in the last episode or a recap of what happened in like the last season even. And it just puts in front of you the things that you need to know before you kind of move on to what's, what's ahead in that episode. I've shared this before, but the first uh, show I ever binge watched was 24 with Jack Bauer and um, Testify. I was uh, in high school And my whole family binge-watched the show. And by whole family, I mean we would drive from Dallas to Oklahoma City to my grandparents' house. And my mom and dad and my grandma and grandpa and my aunts and uncles and all my cousins would watch episode after episode until like three or four in the morning. We really did it. And, And like we got into it. We started talking about the characters of the show like they were members of our family, you know. It got weird. But I think Jack would have liked that. Every episode, though... Started, and if you've seen the show, you'll remember this previously on 24. And then it hit something that happened in the last season or something that happened in the last episode, something that you would need to know so that whatever was about to happen would, would make more sense. Uh, this morning, and, and likely a couple more weeks actually, we're going to do somewhat of a previously on Wisdom and Wonder. We're going to do a couple weeks of recap for a number of reasons. The most important is just want to be able to reach back and take some of these major ideas that we learned, these major truths that we learned, these big themes that we learned, and just hold them in front of us one more time so that we have them for where we're going. When we start talking about wisdom and family and start talking about wisdom and conflict and wisdom and emotions and all that, that those things would stand on wisdom's foundation, which is really what we tried to build uh, last spring. And so we're going to do that by answering three questions this morning. Uh, For some of you, this will be familiar. Uh, For some, it'll be brand new. For all of us, it's important if we have any desire to become wise. Um, The three questions are this. What is wisdom? How do you grow in wisdom? And how do you miss wisdom? What is wisdom? How do you become wise? And how do you miss wisdom? It's a lot. It's a lot, and I'll move pretty quickly. I tried to organize this in a way that's digestible, and one of the things I'm really excited about is while we were on our break, Uh, from wisdom, well, from the wisdom series. Uh, Over the summer, our team 
uh, worked on illustrating and, and imaging some of the big ideas in the series. And so you'll see that as we walk through these questions. And hopefully together, uh, it'll help drive some of this home for us. What is wisdom? How do we become wise? And how do we miss wisdom? Proverbs 8, 32 through 36. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Wisdom is living in God's world in God's way. That's the simple definition that we have offered. And so if we just were to conceptually illustrate that, the outer edges are God's world. Everyone lives in God's world. And then there in the middle is where you find wisdom. That's God's way. And so not everyone uh, lives according to God's way. In Proverbs 8, what we just read, wisdom speaks. Throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom's voice is personified as a woman named Lady Wisdom. And she says things like, listen to me, keep my ways. If you find me, you find life. If you miss me, you hurt yourself. If you hate me, you love death. And so wisdom lays out two ways of living. We all live in God's world. Wisdom's way is to live in God's way. Folly's way is to live in, in our own way, to live in some way outside of God's way. And so there's a, those are the two options. There's a way that leads to life and flourishing, and then there's a way that leads to self-inflicted pain. The worst version is there's a way to live so foolishly that it's less like living and more like dying while you're still alive. Whoever hates me loves death. And so the way to live in God's world that leads to life is called wisdom. And the way to live that leads to self-inflicted pain is called folly. It's living in God's world my way. Okay, that's pretty simple, right? Like, I could just, by show of hands, you don't have to do this, but I could ask you to raise your hand. If you want to live so foolishly that you just perpetually hurt yourself, raise your hand. If you want to um, be so committed to a miserable way of living that it's less like living and more like dying while you're still alive, Show of hands, no one. Nobody wants to actually choose that to be their story. Okay, who wants to find life? Who wants wisdom? Who wants favor with God? Who wants to live a life that flourishes? Yes, sign me up. There's probably some, thank you, brother. There's probably some part of you that is here because of that desire, right? But it's not that simple. We can't just say wisdom leads to life. Wisdom's living in God's world, God's way. And everyone says, Awesome, I'll do that, let's pray. The choice, this choice, is the choice that every human has been faced with since Genesis 3, since, since sin entered in the world. And I don't have the data, but I think it's safe to say that most have chosen God's world my way. And here's why. Wisdom's not the only voice that speaks to us. Proverbs 9, 13, 16, and 17. The woman folly, this is foolishness personified as lady folly. She is seductive and knows nothing. Whoever is simple, she says, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Foolishness has a voice. And folly speaks. And what does folly offer? The same thing wisdom does. Follow me, listen to me, and I'll lead you towards life. And so what's the difference between wisdom's voice and folly's voice? It's not that wisdom says, hey, I'm good, and folly says, hey, I'm bad. The difference is they have different definitions of what's good, different definitions of what leads. To, they offer different paths to finding life. So what would wisdom say about stolen water? Don't steal. 
Don't live a life perpetually stealing. You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt others and you're going to hurt God. But Folly says, it's sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And whoever enjoys stolen sweet bread and whoever enjoys uh, you know, pleasant water, they find life. So Folly's voice leads to pain and harm, but it tries to make it look and sound like life. Um, this week, my son asked me, uh, he's in sixth grade now, so he comes to service. And so he asked me what I was going to talk about on Sunday. And I told him we were doing a, a wisdom recap and explaining this idea to him. And uh, really the idea that foolishness is not just doing what's wrong, but being fooled into thinking it's right. And he said, oh, it's like getting bean boozled. <laughs> Do you know what that is? I had no idea what this was. Uh, it's a bag of jelly beans. And they all look like jelly beans, but some of the flavors are gross, like intentionally gross, made to be disgusting. So you pick one up and it looks good and it feels right and it seems good, but you eat it and it tastes horrible and you make a face and your friends laugh at you, right? I don't know why those exist, by the way. It's like as if life wasn't hard enough without our candy lying to us, you know? <laughs> what makes wisdom hard to find? The reason it can't just be, hey, wisdom's living in God's world, God's way, check, we're done, is because the presence of foolishness and folly, and foolishness and folly are really good at making what tastes bad look good, really good at making what is harmful seem wise. That's the scheme of evil in the garden, Genesis 3, no, you will not certainly die, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining what? Wisdom. So the father of lies speaks, filled with half-truths. You won't die. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And it's desirable. The reaction was from the first humans, it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. But whose wisdom? Not God's. God had already given his wisdom. He had already said, you are like me already. He had already given his commands. He had already defined good and evil. And so the wisdom that they sought was not God's wisdom, but what the New Testament would later call the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the world, lean in, the wisdom of the world is this. Choose for yourself what you believe to be right and wrong. Choose for yourself what you believe to be good and evil. Choose for yourself what you believe to be wise. And that's the kind of choice that looks like life but tastes like death. Sin, what's, what's wrong with us at the very core of who we are, sin at its core is not simply choosing wrong but redefining good and evil so that we choose wrong believing we're doing what's right or living in in our way in God's world, believing it's the wise way. And humanity is at its very worst when what can be said about us is what's said throughout the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes and caused pain and conflict and devastation. And you know what you call someone who is wrong about what's right? Foolish. And when that marks our life, when that marks a society, people do not flourish, they shrivel. People do not grow into um, living in ways that are abundant and whole. People shrivel. 
Uh, Brett McCracken, we, we talked about his book in January, but he has a quote that's worth revisiting. We're living in one of those moments right now where we see the symptoms of foolishness all around us, and he describes it like this. Our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulation, less synthesis. More distraction, less stillness. More pontificating, less pondering. More opinion, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. More amusement, less joy. There is more. But we are less. And we all feel it. Everyone has a megaphone. No one has a filter. Our eyes are strained. Our souls are weary. How can one flourish in a world like this? Is that not our world? Is it not our moment? And what that describes is the symptoms of a world living foolishly, the symptoms of a world given over to living in God's world our way. And when that happens, even when there's so much more of so many things, we are less. And the way out of that, friends, I believe with all my heart, one of the reasons we're doing this and we're going to be in this for a while is the way out of that is wisdom. The way to flourish, even in a world like that, is to live in God's world, God's way. It's not a simple choice. It's not a one-time choice. It is an everyday, grace-empowered decision to fight against the folly that masks as wisdom and submit our lives and our wants and our desires and our decisions and our dreams and our relationships, all of our moments under the wisdom of God because there and only there do we find life. How do we do that? It's our second question. How do we grow in wisdom? You'll see it behind me, captured together. Wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom has a posture. It's low. We grow wise as we are humble and grateful. Wisdom has a pace. It's slow. We grow wise over time. Wisdom has a person. It's Jesus. We grow wise in relationship with him. We receive mercy for our foolishness and grace for our foolishness. And then we are welcomed into following his wise example, led by his loving presence. That's the life that lives in the middle, in God's way, in God's world. Let's unpack that. Proverbs 9.10 will not come close on any of these to saying all there is to say. It's a little bit more width than depth this morning. But Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What marks the life of somebody who lives in God's way? What's the thing that if you don't have it, you have no shot of becoming wise? The fear of the Lord, because that's the beginning of wisdom. We spent two weeks on this in February, can't say all there is to say, but here again from Michael Reeves. Michael Reeves is a theologian from the UK. He wrote a book on the fear of the Lord called Rejoice and Tremble. You should read it. If you don't like reading, he has some lectures on YouTube, and uh, he, he has a wonderful, easy-to-listen-to British accent. So find it and listen to it. He says this, the living God is infinitely perfect and quintessentially overwhelmingly beautiful in every way. His righteousness, his graciousness, his majesty, his mercy is all. And so, we do not love him aright if our love is not a trembling, overwhelmed, and fearful love. In a sense, then, the trembling fear of God is a way of speaking about the intensity of the saint's love for and enjoyment of all that God is. Okay, what I was afraid the fear of the Lord meant for so long is I was afraid the fear of the Lord meant being afraid of God. 
and that you're not really right with God unless you're a little bit scared of him. And there are passages in the Bible that in the same breath will say two things. It's so helpful. Don't be afraid of God. Fear God. What's the difference? The difference is the unmistakable sign that someone is, fears the Lord, not afraid of God, but the unmistakable sign that someone fears the Lord is that they move towards him, not away from him. Yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it has some sort of belief in the outer edges. It has some sort of belief that this is God's world and God is great enough and glorious enough and grand enough to be over all of it, in charge of all of it, had made all of it. And that's God's greatness. And we have some sort of understanding of that. But at the same time, there's some sense of God's mercy that even in this world that God is over, even in this world that God is in charge of, he wants me to move near him and towards him. His grace would draw me into right relationship with him. And so the fear of the Lord is when in response to God's greatness and grace, we move towards God with all of our life. So overwhelmed by his greatness and grace that we want to move towards him in our relationships and move towards him in our resources and move towards him in our talents and move towards him in our fears and anxieties. And that moving towards him in all of those areas makes us wise. That's the wonder part of wisdom and wonder. It's awe and fear and reverence and confidence in God that moves us towards God in trembling love. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom has a posture. It's low. If you see the image, the life is low. It's not defeated. It's not despairing. That image represents the wisdom from Proverbs and the wisdom from Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 3.5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. It means I'm, I've humbled myself. I'm on the ground, not leaning on my own understanding, but knowing I need wisdom. And Ecclesiastes 3.12 says, there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. This is God's gift to man. I open my hands in the hevel and complexity and brevity of life and receive my life and all that comes in my life as a gift from God because life is a gift and I believe life is a gift. So Proverbs says wisdom's posture looks inward with humility and honesty. Ecclesiastes says wisdom's posture looks outward with gratitude and joy. And that's the way to wisdom, to live low, humble, not leaning on my own understanding, grateful, receiving the life that God has given because life is a gift. Okay. If that's true, what that means is that wisdom first and foremost wants to deal with who you are and with who I am. A low posture, humble and grateful, is not about a person's knowledge. It's not even about a person's skill at life. It's about their character. It's about who they are. I started studying for this series about a year ago, um, last September, and the biggest shift for me was around this idea. Here's what I thought, friends. I thought we would do like nine to 10 weeks and they would mostly be about wisdom and decision-making or wisdom and finances or wisdom and relationships. Because usually when I thought about wisdom or I thought about going to someone for wisdom, I thought about needing help navigating something difficult and complex. And that is wisdom. There is something about, about that, that that is wise, obviously. And so we look to wise people primarily to tell us what to do, and that's the expectation. And so we'll hit some topics, we'll be done in 11 weeks, and we'll move on to another book. And then the wisdom 
from the pages of God's word said something that I can't shake. It's deeper than that. You don't grow wise by getting wise answers. You grow wise by becoming a wise person. Stated another way, you don't miss wisdom by being uninformed. You miss wisdom by being unchanged by what you know. Wisdom doesn't first set out to answer our questions. Wisdom first sets out to change our hearts. If you were to ask wisdom, hey, wisdom, what do you want to do with me? Wisdom's answer is this, I want to change you. I want to change who you are. I want to humble you. I want to open your hands to life. And that truth helps us see what's at stake and, and what's needed and what to lean into and what to emphasize. And that's, that's driven so much of the things I'm hoping to just return to over and over and over again. This series, I'll just say explicitly what I hope has been implicit. Um, this need for wisdom, it's, it has captured my heart. Um, I want this for my life. I really do. I don't want this for our sermon series. I want this for my life. I want this for us as a church. I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I think about what I want people to say about me in my old age or what I want people to say about my life after I'm gone, how I want to be remembered. And I want them, especially those closest to me, I want them to say that I was fun, that we had a good time. I want them to say that I was present. I want them to say that I was surprisingly athletic. Like not, <laughs> not because I was impressive, but because people looked at me and expected so little, and they were like, oh wow, that was actually okay. Um, I want them to say I was gentle. We talked about that. And goodness, I want him to say that I was wise. Not because I want to be known as like a wise person, but, but if that word could accurately describe who I am, it will mean that certain things were true about me, that I want to be true about me. I want them to say that he was humble in correction, and I want them to say that he loved his life and received his life as a gift that God has given. And I want that for us, church. I want that for us. What if... <laughs> The reputation that God gave us in our city is that the people of Citizens Church are wise. How incredible would that be? That, that that's what people said. Those people of Citizens, they uh, love well, they sing loud, they're silent during the sermon, and they are wise, right? <laughs> they're humble, they're grateful for the life that God has given them. And if we, I can't control this. I feel acutely the limits of my abilities in this moment. I don't know if this is true. But if any part of you is stirred to any part of that, if there's just a shred of your soul that says, I want wisdom, I want to be changed, then we have to take seriously this truth. Wisdom is not about hearing. It's about being changed by what we've heard. Proverbs says this over and again, the difference between the wise and the fool is not that the wise heard wisdom and the fool didn't. Proverbs 1.21, wisdom cries aloud in the busiest places. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. Wisdom travels to the most crowded streets. She goes to 121 and to Preston and to 75, all of the crowded streets. She goes to the marketplaces. She goes to Stonebriar Mall. She goes to Legacy West. It takes her an hour to find a parking spot. And she goes to all of these packed marketplaces. And she calls out to who? Everyone. All of the foolish. To the rich and the poor and the religious and the unchurched. And to women and men and children. To the person with the ordered life and the person with the messy life. And calls to all. But not all respond and become wise. 
Proverbs names four foolish responses to wisdom. Uh, They describe four types of foolish postures. And Proverbs, I just found this so fascinating. And Proverbs gives them four different names. And this is how you miss wisdom. It'll fill in the picture behind me. Four types of fools, four foolish postures. Where are they? They're in God's world outside of God's way. Wisdom, God's way, there's something that's ordered about it. There's something that is uh, delightful about it. There's something that honors God about it. And the fools are outside of that. And what are they doing? They're just contributing to the chaos. They're just contributing to the foolishness that already exists in the world. And Proverbs names them. How long, O simple ones, Proverbs 1.22, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Proverbs 6.9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? How long, simple? How long, scoffer? How long, fool? The word fool means prideful, rebellious, insolent. It can also mean stubborn, which is really great because that starts with an S. How long, sluggard? There are four types of fools who live in God's world in four foolish ways, and they miss wisdom, not because they don't hear it. Verse 24 says, I called and you refused to listen. I stretched out my hand and you pushed it away. They miss wisdom not because they didn't hear it, but they were unchanged by it. They are not uninformed. They are unchanged by what they've heard. And each type of fool has a different foolish response to wisdom that keeps them foolish. They all miss wisdom, but they miss wisdom for different reasons. And any one of us, my friends, who has any desire to live wisely in God's way, in God's world, needs to look at these postures to see if we can see ourselves. Part of becoming wise is learning how to spot foolishness when you see it. The most important place to spot it is when you see it in you. And according to Proverbs, if I miss wisdom, if you miss wisdom, we'll miss it in one of these four ways. I just want to profile each of them briefly, and we might dig in a little bit more to each of them next week. The stubborn Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The word fool is used 49 times in Proverbs. The stubborn is the most talked about foolish posture in the book. Over and again, here's what's true about the stubborn. They are described as being right in their own eyes, wise in their own eyes. And so what's their foolish posture? They cross their arms. Their arms are folded. They are closed to wisdom, closed to instruction, closed to accountability. You know why? Because they think they already have it. All of it. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The stubborn's always the speaker, never the listener. They believe they have a lot to teach, but nothing to learn. The stubborn will assume the posture of teacher, whether they're invited to or not. They take no pleasure in understanding, only in expressing their opinion. So just to tease that out in a moment like this, The stubborn crosses their arms to a sermon about wisdom. They cross their arms to a sermon series about wisdom. I don't need that. Or they miss wisdom, they cross their arms in a more passive way, and they miss it because they think in a moment like this of all of the people that need to hear this more than they do. So they're quick to to correct. They are themselves uncorrectable. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into the stubborn, into a fool. Why do they miss wisdom? Because they cross their arms. This is their posture in life. They ignore it because they have convinced themselves they already have it. The way of a fool is right in their own eyes. And so they never lower themselves 
on their knees in humility, hands open in gratitude. They never lower themselves for wisdom. They stay arms crossed. They ignore wisdom and they remain foolish. The simple. Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The simple believes everything. It says they are impressionable. Uh, in Proverbs, the word simple can actually just talk about a child, someone who's young, and there's nothing wrong with being a child. But 10 times in the book, it's used to describe something that can happen where childishness, adolescence, has persisted into adulthood. So there are things present that in the life of a child are normal, but when they exist in an adult, they're foolish. Namely, they believe everything. They are easily won over by whatever sounds good, which makes them vulnerable to foolishness because folly's voice is good at making things sound good. Stolen water is sweet. So the posture towards wisdom is the shoulder shrug, like the emoji, right? They are non-committal to wisdom, which ultimately means they avoid wisdom. Proverbs 132, for the simple are killed by their turning away. It invites us to envision wisdom as a path that you walk. And here's what the simple does. The simple sees the path and they shrug. That sounds good. Wisdom sounds good. And, and they maybe even move towards the path, maybe even take some steps on the path. But over and again, they turn away. Why? Because something else sounded better. Like a child who's easily bored with a new toy, the simple are quick to move on to whatever is new and whatever is attractive. And you know what? In the life of a child, that's cute. In the life of an adult, it's foolish. So to tease it out in a moment like this, the simple shrugs their shoulders to a sermon about wisdom or a sermon series about wisdom. They might enjoy it. Yeah, that sounds nice. I like the pictures and all that. Might even get excited about some things that, that they hear. But nothing about this moment will last beyond the next thing they hear that sounds better. And most likely the next thing they hear that sounds better is something foolish that they follow. If this moment is filled with wisdom's voice, the simple shrugs and says, sounds good. But the next moment filled with folly's voice, they shrug again. Oh, that sounds better. One way to say it is this. Please hear me. The life of the simple is filled with beliefs they have changed, but missing beliefs that have changed them. Because they've never let beliefs settle long enough or go deep enough to actually bring about change in their life. They hear wisdom. They don't stay under her voice. They avoid. They never lower themselves under wisdom and humility and gratitude. They stay shoulders shrugged. They avoid wisdom and they remain foolish. The sluggard, Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Craves good things and gets nothing. Craves wisdom and gets nothing. While the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The sluggard's mentioned 14 times in Proverbs. You can see behind me the sluggard is seated. That's their posture. I'm not going to sit down, but you can see it there. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. They are stuck in their foolishness. They are seated on the ground. Wisdom takes work. Hopefully we've seen that. Wisdom demands change. And the sluggard has some sort of desire for wisdom. Their soul craves wisdom and gets nothing. Why does the soul get nothing? Because the sluggard refuses to get up. Refuses to put in the work that wisdom requires. Proverbs 6.10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Derek Kidner, he's my favorite Proverbs theologian, he says this on this passage, the sluggard does not commit himself to a refusal, but deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. The sluggard is not lazy, 
as much as he or she is deceived. They want to change, but they don't want to move. And then they convince themselves that the desire for change is enough, and then they watch as wisdom slips away one small surrender after another, one small moment after another, and they miss wisdom because they're deceived by that excuse. They're deceived by their own excuses for why today is not the day to live in God's world, God's way. Proverbs 26, 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. So I'm just going to stay seated. Seated. I'm going to stay seated. For the sluggard, wisdom is always tomorrow's plan. But today, there's a lion in the street. So I'll stay seated. Tomorrow, I'll get up. And friend, look right at me. If you live long enough planning to do the right thing tomorrow, wisdom will always be your future, but never your present. It'll always escape. We will make a bed with our foolishness and then soothe ourselves with the lie of tomorrow's wise intentions that never come to fruition. Tease it out in a moment like this. The sluggard hears a sermon about wisdom and stays on the ground, stays seated, appreciates it, maybe even desires it, maybe even thinks a little bit about kind of the commitments they're gonna make. But the moment wisdom would demand that I consider foolishness in my life, the moment it demands I spend more time with God, the moment it demands that I let go of things that I hold on to tightly, the moment it makes demands on my time and my resources and my sin and my relationships and my secrets and my priorities, the moment it calls me to my feet, no, there's a lion out there. I'm busy, I'm fine, it's not that bad, it's just a small surrender, I'll become wise tomorrow. The sluggard never lowers themselves under wisdom and humility and gratitude. They stay seated. They make excuses. They remain foolish. The scoffer. Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Scoffer is pride personified. It's mentioned 14 times in Proverbs. It's the most devastating form of foolishness in the book of Proverbs. The most devastating form of foolishness in the world. The scoffer hates God, hurts people. The scoffer, what we'd call them today, is the narcissist, the abusive person, the person who makes others around them shrink and shrivel, and their posture is their fists are clenched, always ready to hurt, always looking for a fight. Scoffers set a city ablaze, Proverbs says, and they miss wisdom. This is the, the, the most devastating one, but the most simple one. They miss wisdom because they hate it. They hate wisdom and they hate the wise. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not, repro- do not correct the scoffer or he'll hate you. Correct a wise man and he'll love you. So their fists are up. They don't argue with wisdom, they attack. Let me tease this out in a moment like this. The scoffer hears a sermon about wisdom and raises angry fists to attack, to fight. Maybe not this morning because we've stayed pretty general. But if I were to apply wisdom to foolish areas of the scoffer's life, if we were to talk about how they yell at their spouse, how they emotionally manipulate their kids, how they blame shift, how they are quick to accuse others of what they can't see is actually in their life, if we tried to apply wisdom to any of that, fists come up. 
physically, emotionally, verbally. They don't just attack the wisdom, they attack the wise. They have built this running list in their mind of everything they hate about you and all they need is one moment of you trying to correct them and that long list of things they hate pours out over you. Their fists are up. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And so the scoffer, more than any other type, never lowers themselves under wisdom and in humility and gratitude. They raise angry fists. They hate wisdom. They hate the wise. They remain foolish. Okay. The stubborn, the simple, the sluggard, the scoffer. How do you miss wisdom? This is how. Um, Not failing to hear. We're all hearing. Failing to change. So it's arms crossed, it's shoulders shrugged, it's staying seated, it's angry fists, and it's a posture of living that perpetuates foolishness. Okay, where are you? Where are you? Maybe if you were to just say, like if I was closest to one of them, here's the one I'm closest to, and, and if your answer is none of them, if your answer is I'm not any of those, then I either wasn't clear or you don't care. You know, if the answer is, oh no, I see myself. That's me. That's my posture. You know what the, oh no, I see myself. You know what, sometimes I can be like that. Oh no, sometimes that's me. Sometimes my arms cross. Sometimes I'm the simple. Sometimes I'm the sluggard. Maybe even sometimes there's scoffer that comes out of me. You know what kind of response that is? It's a wise response. Because then and only then, the reason to hold this out in front of you, my friends, is not to shame anyone, not to yell at anyone, not to make anyone feel bad or feel guilty for the sake of feeling guilty, but to lay it out and say, okay, we have to move from where we are towards the middle. We have to see where we are, and only in seeing rightly where we are can we assume wisdom's posture and ourselves be made wise. Can I tell you what happened to me this week? Sure, Jamin. Okay, thanks. I spent, um, I spent a lot of the week in my notes from last spring. Um, I spent some of the week actually listening to sermons from last spring. So I listened to myself preach, which was weird. There was one point where I actually amened myself, and I felt really, really strange about that. Um, and what happened was um, there was a moment where I read back through those notes, the sermons, listened back to the teaching, and felt really discouraged, ashamed actually, Um, because I remembered what was said, and I remembered all the truths that we unpacked together, and then I looked at where I am, and just the the wisdom needle just hasn't moved a whole lot for me since we've been studying wisdom. Like, I see myself in so many of these foolish postures. And so what happened this week is I was convicted over this truth. Wisdom made it into my sermons, but it didn't make it into my life. And maybe something like that might be going on with you. Maybe you were here last spring and you're like, yeah, I remember hearing all that and nothing's really changed. Or I remember being convicted over that and I had this plan and it just kind of went away. I shrugged my shoulders or I crossed my arm or I stayed seated and I have so far to go. You know the good news, if that's you? Two things. Wisdom has a pace. It's slow. We grow wise over time, not in a moment. God's patient with us. The better news. Wisdom has a person. It's Jesus. 
We grow wise in relationship with him. We grow wise as he pours mercy and grace into our lives for our foolishness. John 1.14, the word, the wisdom of God became flesh and dwelt among us. It shines light into the darkness and the folly of the world. The choice that we're all faced with to live in God's world, our way or God's way, Jesus always chose wisdom. In his temptation, in the garden, on the cross, in his life, he was and is the perfect wisdom of God. And in our praise, God, in our foolishness, he invites us to lower ourselves. Again and again, invites us into his grace and his mercy. We don't have to be afraid of seeing ourselves outside because seeing ourselves gives us the path to walk to Jesus, to come to Jesus, and wisdom's person is always faithful to meet us where we are and invite us to be changed. Wisdom's invitation is not to perfection, but to faithful pursuit of Jesus and be encouraged. The journey towards wisdom is a fight that without Jesus, we cannot win, but with Jesus, we cannot lose. He will do this in us as we look to him and he calls us away from foolishness and into his wise, faithful, beautiful, full life example of what it means to be human. Lord, we need you and we love you and we commit this time to you. I thank you that because of your grace and your mercy, we get to end with good news. Your, your word tells us, Proverbs 27, like a cup of cold water on a weary soul is good news from a far country. And the good news from the far country this morning is that you speak from heaven and you remind us that there's grace for our folly. So we need you, Jesus. Uh, look, God, we're desperate for you to do this desperate for you to do this. No thoughtfully crafted sermon. No beautifully designed image can change a heart. So we can lay all of our efforts, God, out. And we can be wrung out in the best way. And we can think of as creatively and thoughtfully intensely as we can. And what we need is we need you to ignite that by your spirit, oh God. And without all of that, what's true is without all of that, you need none of it. Just a small whisper from wisdom's voice targeted at the heart of a man or a woman can bring about change. So help us. We need that kind of thing from you, God. We love you. So I pray that we would, we would lower ourselves, God. I pray that we would get on the ground, that we would open our hands, that we would assume wisdom's posture, and we would not have your word uh, target wisdom at our circumstances that we want changed, first and foremost, that we would not have your word target wisdom as the, at the people in our lives who we want to be changed, but we would welcome that wisdom's target is first and foremost pointed right at us to change us. We need you. We love you. Jesus, thank you for your grace and mercy. Amen.